All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other we are an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those who are sent from God. Colossians 2.15, let me read another scripture here before I pray. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, I pray that you would um, speak your word, Lord. Uh, Speak it through me, Lord God, and uh, hide me, Lord. Lord, make me less and make you more, Lord God. Glorify your name, lift yourself up, change hearts, change lives. Lord, speak an eternal word, Lord God, today. In your name we pray, amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, The title of my message is, The Triumph of Christ. The Triumph of Christ. Now when you hear that, Before I preach this message, when you hear that, it may not have any meaning to you. It may be like, you may say to yourself, yes, Christ triumphed, and that's exciting, and I'm all for it, and I'm happy about it, and it's exciting. But we may not recognize that the word triumph in the Roman world meant something totally different in their mind than what it means to us today. When I say the triumph of Christ, this is actually an event in the Roman world. Like, for instance, um, there's an event that we have called the Fall Festival. Maybe you guys have heard about it. Maybe. But a triumph is an event that you attend. And so when he says that Christ in Colossians 2.15, disarmed powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about an event that is happening. And if we don't live in that world and we don't understand what he's talking about, we don't understand what Paul's trying to tell us here. And um, Paul had just came off a period of his ministry where he had finished a lot of his uh, missionary journeys. And at the beginning of that chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about the disappointment and um, and the grief that he had uh, in Troas. 
So he's in this port city, and he had severely reprimanded the church of Corinth. He had really laid into him. In fact, it's called the terrible letter and the terrible visit, okay? How would you like to have a minister um, who is an authority over your church, maybe somebody in a high-level office in the district, came down and it became known as the terrible letter and the terrible visit. And Paul was grieved over that because Paul had to very seriously reprimand the church because of the way they were um, living out their life in front of the community. And so he was reproving and he was he was just really down. And he was grieving over how harsh he had to be. And, and, and so the beginning of chapter 2, he's talking about how I want to come to you but man, our last couple interactions haven't been very good. And so then he goes into this chapter, or verse 14, and it's like he almost changes the subject. And so some commentators get thrown off and they say, well, why is he all of a sudden shift from having grief and struggling and being emotional and, and hoping that he has a good visit? Then all of a sudden, Paul starts talking about this uh, tour that he's on. Um, how many have ever heard of a victory tour? Paul shifts from how difficult ministry has been. You know, he's been in Philippian jails. He's had a riot in Ephesus. Uh, he's been everywhere that he's went. He's preached the gospel, but it's been harsh on him. It's been difficult. He's spent a lot of time in prisons and stocks. Uh, he's gotten a lot of rods on his back. He's been stoned and almost killed. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by snakes. Everything that could possibly happen to a person's happened to him. But Paul, and you got to catch this today, Paul gets this vision of something that the Holy Spirit put in him to encourage him. And the vision is of what's called a Roman triumph. A Roman triumph. In fact, in a uh, commentary from William Barclay, who was a commentator in the late 1800s, who really knew his Roman history and uh, was a very good uh, teacher of the Bible, he says this: First, our Second Corinthians two fourteen to sixteen is difficult to understand by themselves. But when set against the background in which Paul was thinking, they become an extremely vivid picture. Paul speaks of being led in the train of the triumph of Christ, and then he goes on to speak about the sweet scent of Christ to men, to some the perfume of death, and to others the perfume of life. So in his mind... William Barclay and everybody that knows Roman history knows what Paul is seeing, but we don't understand it, do we? We read that passage, and if we don't know what's going on in his mind, we don't see the grand picture that he's looking at. So today I'm going to try to paint this grand picture that Paul sees. How many have ever been disappointed? How many have ever had a hard, hard week? How many have had a difficult day? How many uh, haven't particularly liked the last five minutes? I apologize for that. All right? I should be more animated. (laughs) So I'm going to explain what a Roman triumph is. In order for a person to have their own triumph, it's what it's called, a triumph, 
it must be voted by the Roman Senate. And you say, well, what is a triumph? A triumph is an honoring of a great war general who has just won a major battle. And the only thing that I could really compare it with in our society, they rarely ever happened in Roman society, but when they did, it was a grand event. In fact, they say that there's nothing um, that you can even imagine in your mind that compares with a triumph celebration in the Roman world. And so the only thing I could really compare in our world is probably World War II ticker tape parades. Because we haven't really had an ability to win another war and come back and celebrate. Because Korea, Vietnam, they were endless wars and we didn't have really an ability to win and we didn't have people celebrating the victory, which they should have. Should have celebrated the men when they came home. But World War II, how many know that that was a finished work? It was accomplished. We stopped um, the hostile forces in World War II, and we had ticker tape parades. How many know that? I'm not going to say how many remember it, because not a lot of you remember, right? And so this is the equivalent to what Paul's talking about here. Remember, Paul's discouraged. He's down. He's been beaten up. He's had, had to be harsh with his church. And he, and he just opens up 2 Corinthians and just totally shifts gears to the point where some commentators say, well, they're just adding another section in there of material that maybe they missed somewhere else and they just put it in there. But it's not what's happening. Paul's having this conversation about being grieved, being down, being this and that. And he says, but... That's how I know it was supposed to be there. All right? That's a big but. Everybody say, that's a big but. And don't look at me. All right? But, which is a big word. Thanks be to God. Even though I've had a bad week, I've had a bad day, preaching the gospel has been hard. All right? Amen? Living for the Lord is not the easiest thing in the world that's around us. Amen? But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ. You see, he's talking about a triumphal procession. What's he talking about? Something is in Paul's mind. This vision of something is in his mind and he's not really down. He's talking about him being in a triumphal procession. And immediately the reader will recognize he's talking about a Roman triumph. Which is really bold of Paul because everywhere that Paul went, who was the government that was in charge? The Romans. And Paul is saying, my tour, my missionary tour here, and everybody who's preaching the gospel with me, we're on a triumph. We're in a Roman triumph procession through the whole world telling everybody that there is a new government that's coming. There's a new victor that is being honored, and everywhere I go, I'm preaching that message. And so here's what happens whenever you're awarded a um, Roman triumph. This is again from William Barclay. It says, in his mind, he pictures a Roman triumph, and Christ as a universal conqueror. The highest honor which would be, could be given to a victorious general was a triumph. To attain it, you must satisfy certain conditions. You had to 
Be the actual commander-in-chief. You couldn't be sitting back and giving orders from an office and somebody else fighting the battles. You had to actually be in the field and be the general that was in charge of the battles. All right? Fighting with them. The campaign must be completely finished. We don't even understand that anymore, do we? Got to finish that war and come back home, right? The region must be completely pacified and the victorious troops must be brought home. The incursion has to be big enough where there were at least 5,000 of the enemy fallen. Meaning it can't be a small incursion, it has to be a big war. All right? And that was their way of determining. A positive extension of territory must have been gained and not merely a disaster retrieved or an attack repelled. You're adding to the kingdom, right? And the victory must have been won over a foreign foe and not won in a civil war. So you're not killing your own people, putting down an uprising. You're actually beating a foreign foe and being victorious. So if all those requirements were met, you have yourself a general that is about to have his own triumph. Okay, now in order for you to understand what Paul's saying, you have to understand that the one who is having the triumph in Paul's mind is who? Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus in his mind. He's got this vision of this triumph that the Romans would have. And they say they're so rare that you might see one in your whole lifetime. And think about it. We may have seen one in our lifetime. You say, but the Boston Red Sox got a ticker tape parade. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about a war was won, troops were brought back home, and everybody is celebrating, all right? And so in order for you to understand what Paul's trying to say here, You have to understand that the administration that is now in power and in authority is a good one. How many know that when Jesus Christ reigns on this earth, He is going to reign in power and authority and every other government, every other authority, everything else will be wiped off. Every other authority will be gone and Jesus will be the the government, the Bible says, will be put on His shoulders in Isaiah. And so in order for you to understand this, you have to understand that Jesus Christ is a good leader. Jesus Christ brings real justice. Jesus Christ brings real joy. Jesus Christ brings real abundance. And what we recognize in the world around us, we almost get, um, we almost get a little skeptical always, and we should be, because the leaders we've had over a lifetime are always going to be imperfect people. No matter what system of government, some are more corrupt than others, but there's always going to be corruption. There's always going to be um, injustice in every government that we have because they're ran by men and women who are sinful. But when Jesus is the conqueror, when he's the new government, something good is about to change. It's good, it's all good, it's no bad. All right, And you have to also understand, because sometimes it can get complicated when there's a change of government, because you may think the previous government might be better than what it's changing to. I mean, know that. And so if it's changing from good to worse, then it's hard to enjoy the victory, right? But in the analogy, 
It's changing from a world that is destroyed by sin, a world that is destroyed by sickness, a world that's destroyed by death, a world that has injustice. And what he's saying is, I have completely... Did you see in Colossians 2 there, it says he disarmed every principality and power. That means he won a victory and made a public spectacle out of them by his death... That means he won every ruler. In fact, do you remember what it was like when Saddam Hussein was pulled out of that hole that he was hiding in? And that was the most feared man in that region. That man would kill his own family. He was called the butcher of Baghdad. How do you think it felt when he no longer, when they took the stinger out of him and he no longer had any power or authority? How do you think that made the people feel? How do you think it feels when a wicked government is no longer... How do you think it would feel in South Korea, or North Korea, I'm sorry. North Korea, there's a little bit of a difference between the two. <laughs> That's a bad mistake to make. How do you think it would feel in North Korea, you know, when the power is removed from every authority? Man, that would, that would be a gospel message to the North Koreans if you said Every authority, that means every corrupt judge, every corrupt administrator, uh, the family that has ran our country, and I can say this, the fat cat's at the top, because he's a chubby little cat, right? (laughs) Okay, he ain't hiding it. (laughs) How would it feel if he stripped every authority and every power and made a public spectacle of the leadership? How would that feel? Those people would be like, we don't have to fear him anymore. And what he's saying here is that Jesus Christ's death asserted his authority over every principality, every power, every enemy of darkness, everything with his death changed because he went directly into hell, disarmed them from death. Death was no longer a factor their power, they no longer had authority, they no longer had power. He, he, With his death, he purchased that one, exposed them publicly. It was a spectacle, but here's the problem. He says, I'm going to wait until I assert my kingdom in full force. You say, well, man, who is this group? Everybody give Eddie a hand. What'd you do? They're right. Awesome job. Thank you. So the state officials and the Senate came. Well, who are the Senate? They're the representation of all the believers, right? They're the representation of those who have put their trust in that commander, right? And so here we are as believers... You know, and we, we've given God our consent. We want Jesus Christ to, to reign in our lives, right? So here we are leading the procession. I am a representative of my family. I'm a representative of my church. And I've decided that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. This is the kingdom that I'm in. This is the kingdom I live for. This is the ground I'm trying to take. Why? Because it's a good kingdom. It's a just kingdom. It's a great kingdom. It's better in the world I live in. And so I'm all in on this kingdom. 
Church, you're either all in or you're all out. Amen? Either you're wanting the world to come or you're saying, hold off, let me stay here a little longer. I want to enjoy the world. Say, well, wait a minute, you're just stepping on people's toes now. No, I'm saying we're either all in for his kingdom or we're all out. I can't be halfway in his rule. All right? Then after the officials in the Senate came through, then the trumpeters would come through. They would try to alert everybody. They wanted to alert. I mean, you could hear how you couldn't be in that town and not hear that the triumph was coming through. They wanted to inform people from long distances. Be aware there is a triumph procession that is coming through this town. Something has changed. You ever felt change in the air? Fall, you know, changes in the air. You know, seasons tell you changes in the air. Sometimes you can tell. I would imagine during that period of time, you kind of knew that the uh, Romans are conquering the entire known world. I think when Alexander Great was around, there were a lot of communities that never fought him, you know. They just knew change was in the air and they submitted to the change because uh, it's either you get you change or you get run over by elephants, literally. A lot of those battles were elephants, which is pretty cool. I don't know, just me. So, after the trumpeteers come to signal everybody that there is a triumph happening, the next thing that would come through the parade, which is what it was, would be the spoils from the conquered land. So you would have wagon loads of gold and silver, and they would have paintings of the towns that they conquered. They would have, uh, they would have um, models of some of the buildings that they conquered. They would, in fact, uh, Titus, whenever um, he conquered Jerusalem, he had a triumph. And through the streets of Rome, they carried the seven-branched candlestick, the golden table of the showbread, the trumpets from the temple, and they went through the streets of Rome and celebrated their victory over Jerusalem. So think about it. All the spoils of victory are coming through behind. Here's everything that we won. Then after the spoils of victory, there were white bulls, two white bulls for sacrifice to their false pagan gods. Jupiter is where they were going, the temple of Jerusalem, or Jupiter, not Jerusalem. Temple of Jupiter. Then after all of the spoils and their sacrifice to their pagan god, then would come all the rulers, all the princes, all the authorities, and the commanders, and everybody that opposed them in battle that was still alive were chained and walking behind to be made a public spectacle out of them. In fact, they would parade them through the center of town, and when they got to the end of the parade, they were to be executed in front of everybody. In fact, they would make sport out of it. They would sometimes execute them with wild beasts and everybody would come watch them be executed. But there was an execution of the enemy at the end of this. And then, following all of those who are captive from the enemy, there came the lictors bearing their rods, followed by the musicians with their lyres, the priests, 
then followed with their censers and their sweet-smelling incense. So I want you to picture the disciplinarian rods of the lictors came next. Now, why do you think the Romans displayed all this? They wanted to show their authority. They wanted to show their power. Every Roman province would have lictors there. And they basically had the rods. And if you did anything that broke the peace of Rome, you were whipped on the spot and you were sent away. How many think that people would behave a lot better if we had public lictors? I'm not not saying yes. I'm just curious what you guys think. (laughs) So they wanted to show that really soon you're going to see Roman authority everywhere. It hasn't happened yet. But because we have all of their authorities, all of their leaders, all of their commanders, and we're about to execute them, something is getting ready to shift from the current way they live to the new way they live. And then the priests come in, and they have these chains and these censers, and the censers have fragrance fragrance on them. And so they're swinging them around on these chains, and inside of them is beautiful fragrance. And the entire area, in fact, it's all you can smell, is the fragrance of the victory. The fragrance of the victory. They're, they're spinning them around and broadcasting fragrance and aroma everywhere. In fact, the, they say women would bring roses and flowers and they would throw them. And they would all yell, triumph, triumph, triumph. So you would, hear, you would smell the crushed roses. You would smell the censers. And Paul is saying, that's what my preaching tour is. (laughs) Now we got to unwind this, don't we? And then after all that came through, then finally the general himself would come through the procession. And it says he would, um, he stood in a chariot drawn by four horses. He was clad in a purple tunic embroidered with golden palm leaves And over it was a purple toga marked with golden stars. In a hand he held an ivory scepter with a Roman eagle on top. And over his head a slave held a crown. After him he he rode with his family and finally his army wearing their decorations and shouting triumph. Then they would cry triumph at the top of their lungs. Um, It says that he was... um, it four white horses, but sometimes they used other animals. And this is just fascinating, okay? I told you it's a spectacle, and it's a major deal. It says when Pompey had his triumph over Africa, his chariot was drawn by elephants. It says when Mark Anthony had his triumph, lions actually pulled his chariot. I didn't even know you could do that. Lions pulled his chariot through Rome. Another general, his was pulled by tigers. Aurelius, his was pulled by deer. (laughs) Which, again, I didn't know that was possible. So it was a spectacle beyond anything you've ever seen. And Paul is wanting us to see this vision that he's seeing. He sees everybody preaching the gospel as part of this procession. He's going through and he's trying to get us to picture what he's picturing, the pageantry of this triumph. 
And he's saying that Jesus Christ, in fact, did you notice in Colossians? Maybe it means a little more now. It says, and having disarmed the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Now I want you to see what Paul sees. Paul sees himself and all these who are preaching the gospel as being the same as this group of people that was announcing that there is a king that is about to take his throne. He's trying to tell them that I am the one with the chain and the censer. I am an aroma of Christ that's being spread everywhere. He's saying, I'm an aroma, I'm a fragrance, and whenever you see me, when you hear me, when you handle me, anybody who's preaching this gospel, the gospel is this. It's the good news that everything in this world is about to change. That Jesus could have done it in a moment, but he's long-suffering. He wants many, many, many people, he wants all to believe and trust him and serve him. He's giving long, long periods of time to repent, and he's saying, everything is about to change, church. Everything is in the air right now. Do you smell the fragrance of heaven? And when my people preach the gospel and they tell the truth, they don't look around gloomy and say, oh my goodness, the world's getting bad. I better change it. No, the church says, Get ready because it is about to change. Paul knew that nobody could stop it. There's a conquering army and he's already ready to change everything. You don't have to sit and bite your fingernails because you need to change the world around you. The world around you needs to smell heaven and realize that there's a change that's about to happen. And he's proclaiming that this general that I'm walking with here He's disarmed every authority, every demon, every power, every principality. There's nobody above him right now. And he's about to change everything. But here's the problem. To one person, it's the fragrance of heaven. To one, they smell those sensors broadcasting the smells. And you know smell is considered like the strongest of the senses? Did you know that? It's the most wired in the brain to bring back memories. Like, how many have ever had the super, you know, it's one, it's one of the few that can have a super sensation. You ever fasted for, like, long periods of time, and you smelt bread? And literally, my wife's seen me do this. I'll take the smallest thing that would be insignificant, and i just go... How many have ever done that? Ever fasted and been really, really hungry and you just want to smell things that are food and you're just like, and it really is, it's super charged sensation. It's a sense that, I mean, how do you do that with your ears? Can you supercharge your ears at any point? It's like, I'm not going to listen to things for a long time. And then when I start listening, it's going to be supercharged. Or I'm not, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's Jesus actually says that we are like the five senses. He says we're like the salt that brings flavor to Christ. Like we are the ones going in the world, salt of the world, and we preserve and flavor and do all these things for taste. Taste of the Lord and see that He's good. They want to see it in us. Um, When they want to hear about God, He says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. And God said He chose the foolishness of preaching. You know that we're the senses. But boy, this one's a strong one here. 
Paul's saying here that not only are we in the procession, but we're the ones carrying the censers, and we're broadcasting it to the whole world, and there's two people that are listening and watching and smelling and tasting. There's one that that odor brings excitement. It brings hope. They're constantly saying, oh man, finally. Finally, I've been waiting for this government, this kingdom. I've been waiting for heaven. I've been waiting for this hope. I've been, my faith is in this. And, and they're happy. And he says, it's an older unto life. He said, but the same people, he's talking about the ones that are on the way to execution. I want you to imagine if you're on that same procession and you fought like crazy against that king. And no matter what, you said, I'll never serve him. I'll never bow my knee. I'll never love him. In fact, I was listening to a minister um, preach on this very issue, and he said he had a guy in his church. Um, they got married, and they were going to get a divorce, and he was trying to do counseling. And and uh, he talked to the woman, and she wanted to work it out, and she wanted to serve the Lord together, and she began to talk to him. and. Or he began to talk to him and, he, and the man told him, I hate church. I never wanted to go with her. I hate the worship. I hate the message. I hate even being there. I hate everything about it. There's nothing about that that I like. And he said, I'll never go to church again. And you know there are those that see this triumph of Christ and it's not a joyful thing. Not a happy thing. So they're like, man, he wants me to change and start living under his administration, under his rules, under his government? What do you mean I can't do what I want to do? You know that God's laws were made to help people not hurt each other? You know, God's commands are not for him, they're for us. And how can you have a kingdom at peace when everybody's hurting each other, and if you have a ruler that wants everybody not to hurt each other and you hate him, how can you ever be a part of that kingdom? And so this older, beautiful roses and the sense of the temple you've got, I mean, all these great olders are coming out and you're, you're celebrating. The whole town is excited and it's a good thing that's about to happen but then there are those in the procession that are about to be executed. How do you think their mind is? What do you think their thoughts are like? How excited do you think they are for the new administration? And see, here's the problem with life. There are a lot of people that are dreading death because they aren't excited about Christ's triumph. They're not excited about what he did. They're not excited about his administration. They're not excited about his word. They're not excited about his church. Hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And all the Bible says they have is a fearful looking forward of death. No hope. And what God is saying is don't live your life in that old administration. Don't live your life in that old government. Triumph with me. Be that censor. In fact, you begin to look at that word there. That's the same censor they use in the Old Testament 
that symbolized worship. And Paul is saying, we are that censer, and we're putting forth a fragrance, and that fragrance to some people is going to mean death and bad, and to some people it's going to mean hope. It's going to mean forgiveness. It's going to mean mercy. It's going to mean grace. It's going to mean love. But to some people, you are going to symbolize the end. How many have ever felt that? And what what he's saying here is, in fact, he, he goes on and he says, To the one who who are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task? Meaning, how can we live up to that? He says, unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those who are sent from God. Paul is very worried about the fragrance that we put forth. In fact, did you know that the fragrance in the temple that was brought before the Holy of Holies, brought before the presence of God, those coals were taken from the burnt offering, taken off the altar of sacrifice, put in the censers, and then brought before the presence of God, and it was expected to fill the air. God would smell that wonderful fragrance and would accept us. Why? Because the coal came from the altar that burnt the burnt offering, which was Jesus Christ. So because Christ died, we take those hot coals that get in this heart of mine. And when those hot coals of Christ's sacrifice hit my faith, guess what happens? Fragrance goes before God. And it says there, 2 Corinthians, God is pleased with that fragrance. And so what God is saying is, church, here's the message here. There is a procession going through this world right now. And it's saying the victory has already been won. Principalities have already been spoiled and disarmed and beaten and destroyed. Right now, you are proclaiming the gospel that a new government, a new world, a new heavens, a new earth, everything is going to be ruled by Christ Himself. And everywhere you go, I need you to broadcast that fragrance. And to some people, they'll, they'll, they'll see your life. And they'll see the worship that comes from your life, and they'll, 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 they'll breathe in, and they'll say, what a sweet fragrance. I know that person loves the Lord. Sincerity, that's what he's talking about there, sincerity. And he's saying that we came with sincerity, not, not looking for money or profit. We came with sincerity. And you say, well, man, I hope my worship at church is really good. But see, here's the problem. Worship at church is the manifestation of our life. If we worship on Sunday and we're not a censer full of sweet fragrance, then what good is it on Sunday? Worship is a lot more than a worship service. The worship service is the culmination of my life. But can I tell you, we worship, in fact, Paul always goes into practical living. He always says you show your worship to God by how you treat your husband or your wife. How do you treat your neighbor? How do you treat your kids? How do you live your life out around other people? Are we a fragrance of God or are we a stench of death? Are they looking at us and saying, man, I know that person loves the Lord? He says, who can be worthy to this task? But he's saying, be sincere. 
Be a person that puts out a fragrance. Let the whole world know on every corner of the earth that you worship and love God. He's saying, put that fragrance out everywhere. Some are going to accept it. Some are going to smell it and they're going to say, oh man, I know that there's a God in heaven because of you. Some are going to say, I hate it. It's always going to cause a reaction. How many know that? Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would be pleasing with our lives, Lord God. Lord, we're for you, Lord. Lord, we've bowed our knee. You are the Lord of our life, Lord. Father, help us to proclaim it to the world, Lord. Change is in the air, Lord. There's a government that is coming, Lord God. There'll be no injustice, Lord. There'll be no pain. There'll be no hurt. There'll be no tears. Lord, we love you, Lord. We're looking for that day, Lord. It's already in our hearts, Lord. Every day we live under your administration, Lord God, under your lordship. Oh, Father, help us display that to the world, Lord. Let us be like a procession, a triumphal procession. Lord, we're thankful for the triumph that you awarded to Christ. That parade, Lord God, where you prayed at every principality, everything that gave us trouble, Lord God, every addiction, every sickness, Lord God. Oh, you made a show of it openly, Lord God. You're the victor. Bless this church today, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, with your eyes closed, I just want to ask you, have you bowed your knee to the Lord? You say, well, I prayed a prayer. We want to pray a prayer and bow our knee. You know, when that procession comes through, there's only two kinds of people. Those who are with the Lord, love the Lord, have bowed their knee to the Lord, and those who are enemies of the Lord. That means I'm against, I'm fighting against it. If you're fighting against it, you say, man, I don't want to change my life. I want to do my own thing. The Bible says that we become enemies fighting against Christ. We can't fight Him and love Him at the same time. And so God's asking you today, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, it's very simple. I mean, no simple and easy are different things. It's very simple. I bow my knee and say, you're the Lord of my life, and I'm going to do my best, and grace will get you there every time. Hard and simple. Hard because i got to give up myself. i got to receive His rule and give up my rule. I mean, all that's hard to do. But God calls us to give up our opinions, our rule, our lordship and say, I want to make you the Lord of my life. If that's you, this altar is open. I want to pray with you and lead you to the Lord. Or make an altar at your seat or ask me after church. And I'll pray with you. Hallelujah. If you have any kind of um, oppression from the enemy, you know what oppression is? when the enemy is harassing you. And the Bible says he spoiled, disarmed every principality. In Christ, the enemy has no power. Outside of Christ, the enemy has power. And God wants us to live in that authority that he's given us in Christ. Authority over every demon, every principality, all depression, all hopelessness. 
And if that's you today and you need prayer, we'll pray for you up here. Hallelujah. We're going we're gonna to just worship here for one song. And if you need prayer, I want you to make your way up to the front here. Don't be afraid. How many know that we're here to pray? That's what church is all about, not to sit in the seats. Church is a call to action. Like, I need to take action in my life because there may not You know, you're not going to go work tomorrow and they're not going to have an altar call. They're not going to look around at the meeting tomorrow and say, well, you, might, you guys might. <laughs> okay, you might have. But they're probably not going to have an altar call and they're not going to look around and say, who needs prayer for depression? Who needs prayer because they're going through something financially? Who's grieving over the loss of somebody or something? We're not going to ask you that. That's why we're here. If we're not utilizing this altar, we're not bearing one another's burdens. We're not forgiving one another. We're not um, confessing one to another. We neglect the altar. We're neglecting what God wants us to do as a church. How many believe that? Hallelujah. So if you need prayer, please come up here this morning. question before I pray for Heather here. Um, How many times in your life have you ever felt the burning coals? You say, well, what is that? That's the love of Jesus burning inside of you. Like His death, resurrection, His sacrifice, my faith burning hot. How many of you ever felt that faith hit those hot coals and the beautiful presence of God coming out of your life? Because here's what it'll do. That kind of faith will affect everybody around you. You have that kind of love for the Lord in His presence. They'll know. In fact, it says that in the Bible that when His disciples came around, they recognized that He'd been with the Lord. They'd been with the Lord. You know, if you've been in the presence of the Lord and you have that kind of faith, how many know that the world around you is going to notice? So I'm asking you, how many times in your life, how many days this week did that come from your life? That kind of worship, man, where people around you know, you don't have to say a word. They know by your actions the kind of faith that you have in Christ. That hot coal, that... A living sensor is what Paul's saying. A living worship sensor where that fragrance fills the room. You leave the room and they still know you've been there. I mean, I've seen somebody wears way too much cologne and perfume. <laughs> it's still in the room. That's what God wants us to be like. And you say, well, I can talk my way to that. No, we need to be that need to be that our actions reflect the sweetness of the Lord. That means that you went the extra mile. Right? A great philosopher once told that story, right? Go the extra mile. He was a philosopher. Jesus Christ said, go the extra mile. Let the sweetness flow out of you, your generosity, your love, caring, 
peace. I mean, oh, peace is a form of worship. Everything's going wrong around me, but man, why do they have such peace? Why is Paul singing hymns in prison when he just got beaten badly? Because he was a living censor, a living worship censor that's being broadcast everywhere for the world to see a stench, death to some, life and hope to everybody else. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.